Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service and the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Have a mom or motherly figure in your life who loves books? Give them the gift of tailored book recommendations for Mother's Day, which is coming soon. When you do, your mom can tell TBR about their reading likes and dislikes and what they're looking for and sit back while their bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for them. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email and gifts start at only $16, so there's a gift option for every budget. Plus, gifts can be scheduled so you won't miss Mother's Day. Go to mytbr.co to give your mom the gift of tailored book recommendations. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 102, and we are recording on April 16th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are bringing you our favorites from sci-fi fantasy from spring 2021. Yay! I'm so glad we get to talk about some of these books because it feels like there were quite a few of them that came out that were really great. Yeah, I had trouble narrowing it down, particularly for fantasy. It was a very good quarter for fantasy. I, I agree. I agree. I wish I could have gotten to some of like the bigger tomes that came out, yes. but I feel I'm happy with what I read. So, Oh, good. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be a very fun show. And there's some interesting news. I'm excited to talk about the Hugo finalists and a bunch of other things. So. Yeah, yeah, me too. But before we start talking about news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is the Knight Library of Sternendoch. And this is by Jessica Levi from Lanternfish Press. Kunigund is destined to become the next in a long line of Heller clan vampire hunters, but her soul is drawn to books, poetry, and the vampire Graf. Set in 1960s Europe, the Night Library of Sternendoch is an unabashedly melodramatic opera in sonnets that weaves a sweeping, suspenseful tale readers won't be able to put down. This is a story that's told entirely in Pushkin sonnet. Super interesting. And the book is a unapologetically melodramatic, subtly hilarious vampire opera you didn't know you needed to add to your bookshelf. That's how it's described, and it sounds delightful. Um, it's a tongue-in-cheek novella in verse. So if that sounds like something you've been looking for, I know vampire stories are very popular right now, you should check out The Night Library of Sternendoch, again by Jessica Levi from Lanternfish Press. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. I don't remember the last time I read a sci-fi fantasy novel in verse. I definitely remember reading 
I've read others recently, other kinds of fiction. Yeah. But not SFF. Yeah, me neither, now that I think about it. That's a really That's good point. We should. Uh, that might be a potential show topic in future. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to scrounge around to find some, some reads, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to look. Uh, so I wanted to, why don't we pick up uh, our news stories with the announcement of the Hugo finalists because it's super exciting and it just sort of reminded me of how many great books came out. Like 2020 was such a trash mm. year, but at <laughs> least we got some good books out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so we actually reported on the story over at Book Riot and Annika Barani Klein uh, gave us the rundown of the finalists. And there are some great books in here that we have talked about on the show that everybody has probably heard a lot about, like for the Lodestar Award for Best Young Adult Novel. We have Aidan Thomas, very popular, great writer, who brought us Cemetery Boys, which I heard so many great things about. And also Naomi Novik with A Deadly Education. Legendborn was a huge, that was one I really, really wish I had gotten to um, mm. because it's supposed to be a super fantastic Arthurian tale. This is by Tracy Dion. And all of these books are, are definitely um, on the radar. Sometimes they're, they're titles that I somehow completely missed, but I'm really glad to see that I was not completely out of it last year and <laughs> had my eye on some things. Is, are there any standouts for you from this list? There's so many. So, yeah, there's so many. I was happy to see that I had at least at least knew about almost all of the Lodestar Award nominees, and yes. I read a couple of them, and they are great. Uh, and I, the the Best Series uh, Award category, I was very excited to see that the Poppy War was on there because, yeah. you know, I think it's so hard to maintain interest over series and um, also marketing dollars often don't go to subsequent books in a series. So, mm -hmm. and that book, that series had such a killer ending. I mean, I, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. I'll talk about <laughs> it again, but like, I'll cut myself short right now just to say I'm very happy to see it in the category alongside, you know, it's not a surprise to see Murderbot Diaries, for example, or the Deva Bad trilogy by S.A. Chakraborty. So, yeah. And then uh, I had read a couple of the novellas, which is always nice. Novellas is often my worst category, but I feel like I've come a long way <laughs> That's my in favorite. recent years. <laughs> And I have read four out of the six best novel finalists, which has Ooh. to be some kind of personal record, actually. I don't think I've ever read that many of them before. I think you should absolutely get an award for that. <laughs> I think that deserves something. I also I'll give myself a I'll give myself a gold star when we hang up. Yes. <laughs> Do it. A gold star and a cookie. Um, yes. I also found it interesting and not surprising, to be honest, that Tor.com completely, like, every novella in the yeah. novella category is a Tor.com novella. Oh, you're right. Because they produce so many, like, 
I tried. I had to make an effort when I was reading some novellas. I can't remember for which show. I tried mm-hmm. so hard to look for something that was not Tor.com because I realized that every novella I was reading was Tor.com, which is fine because they come up with some Obviously, they're on this list. They yes. come up with some great novellas, but it's like, wow, they are just like the novella producer right now. Yeah, it's interesting because I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they have moved into the novella space after being a tr- like full length publisher, which mm-hmm. means that they have you know library distribution, they have bookseller galley lists, they have Edelweiss and NetGalley ways to distribute these novellas. And when you look at other major players in the novella spaces, they're often not big five traditional publishing houses. They're often yeah. you know uh, literary magazines or smaller publishers, independent presses who just like they don't have the marketing budgets. They don't necessarily have the same distribution channels. I mean, some of them have been doing this work for decades, right? And or like longer in some cases. But it's just, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to resources. So it is so it is both so great to see so many amazing novellas coming out of Tor.com. But I think you're right. It's like it you it is worth remembering that they're not the only ones doing this Mm -hmm. and haven't been for a long time. So, yeah, but I I was trying to decide, you know, how to pick a favorite in the best novel category, which is always the one. That's the hardest, you know, because Black Sun is in there by Rebecca Roanhorse and City We Became by Jemison, Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir, Network Effect by Martha Wells. I've heard great things about Piranesi by Susanna yeah. Clark. And then obviously Mary Robinette Cowell is like always a favorite. Uh, the Relentless Moon is in there. But for my money, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm terrible at predicting things for the record. <laughs> But I would not be surprised to see Black Sun take it, is what I, I'm going to yep. say right now. I was going to say the same thing. So we can both be terrible predictors together <laughs> if it turns out that anything else won. But I was, I am in the same uh, boat. I think Black Sun is probably the big, the big likely candidate for winning this category. Yeah. Well, we'll be waiting and watching to see if we're right or wrong. <laughs> it's very but good exciting. Luck to- yeah, good luck to everyone. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I am going to do a quick note here because we talked about in one of the news segments in a previous episode, Redwall and the adaptation that's coming for that. And I know I said, you know, it's been a really long time mm-hmm since I read them and that I was sure that there were problematic things I was not remembering. And also on Book Riot, Alex Axe, who writes our Swords and Spaceships newsletter, which if you don't already get and you're a fan of the genre and why else would you be listening to this, you should definitely (laughs) sign up for it. It's such a good newsletter. But Alex has written this amazing piece about being uh, a young reader and reading Redwall and then the damaging tropes that they 
identified even as a kid and like have felt very frustrated about ever since. And it's really worth a read if you, especially if you've read the books and are like, boy, I don't remember what reading those was like aside from the food porn, (laughs) (laughs) which actually is addressed in this piece. This is well worth your while. So I'm going to leave a note in the show notes uh, with a link to this piece. You know, it's just, it's really thoughtful and and super well done. And I appreciated the, the way that Alex was able to break it down. Yeah, I, the only thing I have to add to that is even as somebody who never read the Redwall series, I really thought that this piece was so interesting to read and that some of the things that are discussed, the issues, um, were prevalent in a lot of science fiction and fantasy. So if, even if you didn't read Redwall, I think that a lot of readers will recognize some of these uh problematic tropes yeah (laughs) okay well my last news piece is about one of my nostalgic favorite films and it is the dark crystal gizmodo and germaine lucier reported on the story that the dark crystal is coming back as a ballet which is not news I ever expected, (laughs) but it is news I am delighted by because I love the ballet and I love the Dark Crystal and the like any Jim Henson movie, especially from a certain era, it was so was so significant to Mm. the development of my life fantasy brain and my imagination Mm -hmm. and i did not watch the dark crystal age of resistance which was that netflix series that happened recently i'm kind of glad i didn't because at the top of this piece uh they talk about how the end was a disappointment because it was basically Mm. canceled so It was one of those sad situations where a show, even though it seems wonderful and has a big following and fan base, for whatever reason, it just didn't get extended. So um, for anybody who is upset about the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance going away, you might want to check this out. So it's the Royal Opera House in London that's putting on this production. This is for the 2021-2022 season. And there isn't like a ton of information here because this is uh, pretty new news. And uh, there weren't a lot of comments from those involved about the details of the show. There's some speculation, which is really interesting, but it is going to be a ballet. And it sounds like it's going to be this coming of age story. And the Jim Henson Company is involved. That was the first thing I looked for just to make sure. So the puppets and props are going to be provided by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. And I was really excited to see that the Frouds are also involved. Brian and Wendy Froud, who did a lot of character design for um, those Jim Henson movies like The Dark Crystal and also my all-time favorite, Labyrinth. Uh, They did the designs. And for those of you, this is such a nerdy thing, but I just have to say that Toby (laughs) from Labyrinth was Brian Froud's toddler. 
his son. So I always thought that was a cute thing. So I was really excited to see that they're involved in this as well. And I hope that there's a way to like watch this or experience it, even if you don't get to, you know, go see it live. Um, That's the news I'm kind of looking for or the update I'm looking for. So I just love everything about this news. I was just baffled at first. And then I was like, I am 100 percent in. <laughs> um, so there yeah. will be more info on June 1st. What do you think about this? <laughs> when, when I saw this news story across my feet, I was like, this is the white hot core of Sharifa's interests, <laughs> like Venn diagram. And 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 the podcast that we don't do, but that we could do, is about our mutual love for dance reality shows, which Ooh. is we. I like don't know how we will ever talk book right into hosting that, but <laughs> but it is a shared interest of ours. So I also am extremely excited about this concept. I have seen. At least one episode, possibly two, of Age of Resistance, but. But I actually only recently watched the Dark Crystal movie. Ooh. Labyrinth was part of my, you know, tween years. But Dark Crystal, somehow, I never saw it until, like, the last two years. So I really enjoyed it. It's fascinating okay. to me. And I also, I ended up falling down this rabbit hole of watching the different, like, documentaries they've done about how they created the Dark Crystal and how do you do the movements? How do you film puppets in these environments doing such elaborate things and so I like what I want not only do I want to see a streamed version of this I really desperately need a documentary about how they're gonna make a puppet (gasps) ballet happen like that is a thing that I deeply deeply need and I really hope some enterprising documentarian is already on top of this because I will pay Lots of American dollars for all of those things. <laughs> you can't see me, but I am like bouncing in my seat on this <laughs> idea. I love a dance and choreography and theater documentary. Right? I just cannot even right now. It's a golden opportunity. Like that has to happen. It has to happen. Yes. Make it so happen. This, <laughs> this is our plea to the universe. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, so fun. Yeah, so fun. So, yeah, I I agree that I'm extremely excited about that is what what was my take on that news piece. So I have I like threw a bunch of adaptations and interesting tidbits in here. We'll see how many of them we get through in the next few minutes. Okay, but. I was, firstly, I was super excited to see the news that the Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin has been optioned for TV. I think we already knew that Broken Earth has been optioned mm-hmm. as and is in development. But I'm really jazzed because when you think of, like, properties that are comparable to Game of Thrones and that they are epic fantasy with lots of politics and like sex and complicated morality, you know, the hundred thousand Kingdoms series is at the top of my list for series that also do that, but do it with diversity and thoughtfulness around power dynamics. And so I am just so happy to see that this series has 
gotten at least optioned. I mean, who knows what will actually happen with this adaptation? It's still very early days. But according to Deadline, reported by Nellie Andriva, the Westbrook Studios, which is Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith's production company, has is on board to produce the project and they are envisioning it as a live action ongoing fantasy series which is good news this is way too much for a movie this is definitely a tv show in my opinion and they're you know looking for a writer director and talent and i just am so excited about this i mean there's so there's so much interesting complexity as you would expect with Jemison in the world building and the plot of this series. And I feel like it has not gotten the same spotlight as some of her later works. And so I'm really, ex- I'm first of all hopeful that more people will read it uh, in advance of this coming hopefully to TV screens like sometimes in the next decade Uh, and also to see you know that that production studio to be involved like I actually can kind of envision Jada Pinkett Smith in one of the character roles and probably that's not going to happen but like I absolutely could envision her as one of the characters in this series so I think it's really interesting I just love to see N.K. Jemisin get that recognition I think She's just such an amazing writer, and she writes with such a cinematic flair that yes. I, I am really happy to see this. I am among the people who still has to read the Inheritance trilogy. Shame on me. No shame, no shame. It's okay. It's uh, there's always time to pick up stuff. <laughs> there is, there is. There are a million books out there. I'm That's not right. Give myself any sort of stress, but yeah, I I just love to see it, and I hope that it does get picked up and actually get made. Yeah. And then in in more adaptation news is that Kindred is in adaptation discussions. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter uh, talked about this early in March. It, this has been on the agenda just forever and we never got around to it. Mm-hmm. But um Rick Porter is writing that uh, it's a FX has picked it up, uh, has ordered a pilot uh, with Brendan Jacobs Jenkins writing the script. uh, And he is a playwright and a watchman consulting producer. So some good, you know, resume there to be involved with an adaptation that's a super, you know, sort of seminal work of science fiction on social justice and race. So I, it's a sensitive work, and I look forward to seeing it handled sensitively, which it seems like it will be. But I, yeah, I'm super excited that a pilot got ordered for this because that just moves it one step closer to actually being something that happens in the world. Yeah, I have a feeling that right alongside the Underground Railroad adaptation, yes. the Colson Whitehead one, this is going to be one of those, like, I have to watch it, but I know <laughs> I'm going to have to take some deep breaths before I go in. So yeah. it sounds, I, I can't wait. Like, I, I've i been waiting for a long time to watch a Butler adaptation. So Yes, yeah. Yeah. And in other Octavia Butler news, I just think this is the coolest thing. This makes me so happy. Yes. So NASA has named the landing site of the Perseverance rover Octavia E. Butler Landing, which like Octavia Butler has made it to Mars. Like, Can we just have a moment of glee and joy about that? So I'm so glad you brought this up because I had 
almost forgotten about it, but I remember being elated when I heard this news and thinking there is no better person to have something like we have that sort of standing rule that just don't name things after people. Yes. But I don't care. I'm so happy (laughs) about this. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know. I mean, it is just it. I think it I think it must mean so much to so many people for Butler's name to be you know, immortalized in this Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it just is, it makes me happy. It makes me really happy. (laughs) And in a week, you know, recording this in a week that has had some very upsetting and difficult news. Yeah. It's just nice to be able to celebrate this. Yeah. That's a, that was a great one to end on because I love leaving with some happy news. Yeah. In times (laughs) like these. Indeed, indeed. All right, so let's see. So that's our news segment. Let's do a sponsor, and then we will get into our favorites from this spring. So our second sponsor today is Yen Press. And If the RPG World Had Social Media by Yusuke Nita, Sato Kamagoya as artist, LOL as artist, (laughs) and Yukinatsu Amikaze as artist. And this is, this is kind of an amazing premise. This is a manga based off the light novel of the same name that's getting released by Yen Press this summer. And it uses the structure of role-playing games to create a fantasy tale where our socially awkward hero makes his way through an adventure using text messaging to fulfill his destiny. So (laughs) when a fantasy world has fully functioning internet and smartphones, for reasons, it's only natural for its 16-year-old shut-in of a hero to declare war on the demon lord who has captured the kingdom's princess via text message. But is it natural for that demon lord to be an innocent snowflake who hates conflict? And somehow this hopelessly weak level one hero ends up texting this overly pure demon lord, her cheerful generals who all adore her, and the princess who also seems to be developing a major crush on her captor as the hero goes about his adventures. This is a very extremely adorable premise. (laughs) If ever I've heard one, it sounds like a delight. I will definitely be keeping an eye out for it this summer. That sounds like great summer reading. So again, that's If the RPG World Had Social Media by Yusuke Nita. And that is coming from Yen Press. Thanks for sponsoring the show. All right. Let's talk about our faves. I'm so excited. Oh, I know. Me too. Uh, All right. So like we said, it was really hard to narrow down my fantasy picks like super hard (laughs) but in the spirit of i do not ever shut up about this series and this (laughs) author i have decided to continue that streak and i picked soul star by cl polk and this is the third book the the final book in the kingston cycle trilogy as far as i am aware as far as i am aware and it is extremely satisfying y'all like it is real good this series has been such a delight since the first book came out because polk has managed to do this thing whereby they are balancing like real 
issues. You know, there are issues of class and race and social justice in these books. There is trauma and having to deal with that trauma. And there's, you know, like really complicated family and all kinds of different. And then like there's action and, you know, all kinds of gore in certain circumstances. (laughs) But they feel so they feel like warm hugs somehow while tackling all of these difficult issues, which is, I think, an incredible feat. I honestly don't know what sort of writerly alchemy produces that result, but it's it's very pronounced and it's very amazing to me that Polk has managed to do this. And each book follows a different set of characters, although there are recurring characters throughout all three of them. Um, And it's also romance fantasy in that each book follows a different couple as they, like, you know, experience attraction and try to get together and, like, what's going to happen in the context of this much bigger plot line. And it's a sort of Edwardian era universe. There's technology, but it's kind of minimal. It's, like, you know, a little bit, like... Early, you know, there's bicycles and there's some electricity, but it's also magically complicated on top of that. And this kingdom has been oppressing magic users of lower classes for decades. And all of this is only just coming to light and starting to be dismantled. And Robin, who uh, we meet in the very first book, she's a nurse assisting the main character, Miles, at this veterans hospital, really comes into her own in this book. She is now, you know, not just an organizer of a resistance movement, but becoming the face of it. She's moving into a much more public role. She has a lot of complicated feelings about that. Uh, And she also is really dedicated to serving her community. And her loved one, whose name is Zalind, was one of the witches who was incarcerated and abused by this oppressive system. And Zalind has been released And now the two of them who have been through so much have to try to figure out, like, what are they to each other and what do their roles in dismantling these systems of oppression and their efforts to do that and all of the obstacles involved, you know, dangers and and PTSD and all of these things, like, where, where does that leave them with each other? It's very, it's a really interesting sort of second chance romance, which I so appreciate because... These are the kind of relationships that we don't always get to see get worked on in real time in books. You know, you see either the start of that kind of relationship or like the beautiful reunification. And then you never see the work that goes into, you know, reconciling with each other and figuring out like, yeah, who are you now? And how do you relate to each other in these new ways? Because neither of you are the same as you were when you were separated. And I loved seeing all of these various threads, you know, plot threads like the the elf, uh, you know, enforcers and the political machinations that are going on in the background. Like all of these different threads are being pulled together in, like I said, really satisfying ways. So I just I love this whole series. I love this third book. I hope people will pick it up and read it. It's just it's just a fantastic beautifully queer celebration of what it means to love in complicated circumstances and also to do the work to make your life and the life of your community better. And then magic. Like, what, more, what more do you want? I don't know. I honestly don't know. So again, that's Soul Star by C.L. Polk. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about that series. And I think so many more people are going to pick it up now that they know that it is 
probably complete. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it was meant to be a trilogy is my understanding. So. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Well, my next pick comes from an author both Jen and I have fanned out over and that's mm. Karen Tidback. And the book is The Memory Theater, which I kind of stumbled into while I was just like on a general hunt for a next read and the second, I didn't really read too much about it because Karen Tidbeck is such a surprising writer that I kind of wanted to be surprised by what I would find in the pages. Um, so I will just say that I got that feeling you get when you read the first sentence. This doesn't always happen, even with books you really enjoy, but... When you read that first sentence of a book and you just know you're going to love it, like you want to swaddle yourself in a blanket with a hot cup of tea and just get lost for a long, long mm. time. That's the feeling I kind of chase. And that is the feeling I got with this book. I was so I was just ready. I was all in the second I opened it. And I'm not going to tell you what the sentence is. You'll have to read it because it's so good. But um, the story is amazing. It does come with a content warning for child abuse. It is a very dark and twisty tale. And the story follows these two characters, Thistle and Dora, who are companions. They're, they call each other brother and sister. They're not related, but they are brother and sister in spirit. And they come from this place called the Gardens. And the garden sounds really fun at first. Basically, every night there's drinking and dancing and feasting. But in actuality, it is a nightmare to live in the gardens. And Thistle and Dora live among the lords and ladies who get to enjoy the revelry. And the, uh, Thistle lives as a servant in this place. And Dora lives as this sort of scorned daughter. And being a servant specifically in the gardens is a truly terrible, violent, and deadly thing to be. And the children, all who live in the gardens, are treated horribly and they endure horrible suffering. Dora isn't a servant. She's different. Um, but she is an abandoned child. And Thistle is all she has in the world for both family and friend. And then everything changes when one of the garden's lords and ladies, I'm not going to tell you which one, discovers something. And this discovery ends up stirring up trouble in this fairy tale-esque world. And that event ends up taking Thistle and Dora on this big journey to reclaim Thistle's real name and to get back his freedom so he can be reunited with his family. He doesn't remember anything about his past or his family, but he has enough recollection to know he has one and that he was happy wherever he was before he found his way to the gardens and was lured in. And I just, I just really love the characters in this story. And even in some cases, I really love to hate them. And Thistle, <laughs> Thistle and Dora were kind of predictably my favorites. They have that kind of close relationship that I love in characters where they kind of know when to leave the other person alone or when to go after them and how to protect each other. There's this really 
deep unspoken understanding between them. And everything they do in the story and how they interact with each other speaks to that understanding. Like Thistle knows when Dora's overwhelmed by too much stimulation, like lots of talking, and when she needs some time and space to herself. And then Dora is bigger and stronger than Thistle and like literally snaps a pole to to protect him. And Thistle's been her guardian as well in his own way and protects her in this sort of gentle caring way and i just love them so much and the ways they looked out for each other and honestly i if i could go back to our hundredth episode and choose another top villain i would (laughs) probably choose the villain in this story because augusta prima is like the most casually violent sociopath i ever met on the page She just has, like, pure shruggy abandon when it comes to, like, (laughs) strangling people with her bare hands. Truly an awful human being. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Just, like, whatevs. And there's another really great character who's a librarian. And one of the moments in the story that made me chuckle was a description of how many times this librarian character uh, rearranges their bookshelves. (laughs) And I think, like, any reader will totally have a lulzy moment with that passage. But overall, like, there are real moments of humor in this story, but it is, there are also really dark moments and really strange moments. And Karen Tidbeck pulls from their own background of Swedish mythology. And I thought that it was a really interesting and just weird story. And I just love Tidbeck's specific brand of weird so much. So if you're looking for something really whimsical and really sharp and purposeful, you should definitely check out this book. And again, that was The Memory Theater by Karen Tidbeck. Yeah, man, parts of Jagannath will be forever branded in my brain, which is Tidbeck's (laughs) short story collection. And if I'm remembering right, it sounds like one of the stories in there might have led to this novel. Ooh, I don't think I knew that. I I could be wrong. I'll have to do some research. Stay tuned. But anyway, I'm super excited to read it regardless because, yeah, Tidbeck is a force of, like, weird fantasy (laughs) fiction. (laughs) So unnerving is maybe the word I want. Oh, yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Well, I'm excited about my science fiction pick because I don't remember what episode it was, Sharifa, but I do remember us saying, like, where did the cyberpunk go? Like how neither of us have read a cyberpunk-esque sci-fi novel in a while. I remember that. And I am here to tell you that Machinehood by S.B. Divya scratches that itch for me and may for you as well. It is a really interesting near, well, near, near nearish future novel. That is a thriller. It's an action thriller, first of all. It's an Ooh. action thriller. Um, our main character, one of our main characters, Welga Ramirez, is a bodyguard and, like, former military. And she, you know, is... Uh, her job is mostly, you know, public 
it's PR in a certain sense, because in this future of our world, uh, surveillance is almost universal and like not in a dystopian bad way in like a very like everything is transparent all the time forever and Mm. no one cares. They're just used to it. And it's not Mm. being used for nefarious purposes. It's just normal, which like. I've never read a book that did that, yeah. quite frankly, <laughs> ever. Like, I've never read a sci-fi book that took, a, like, perfect, like, uh, being surveilled all the time. Everybody's just used to it and it's totally fine and normal. Like, that's just not, I've never seen anybody take that premise in that direction before. It's really interesting. There are other issues in this world. But anyway, because surveillance is pretty universal, crime is, like, very low. You know, it just, it's not, it's not, a, it's not as much of a thing as it is in our time. And. And uh, violence is like very sort of managed in these interesting ways, like protests happen and uh, all kinds of weird, you know, like attacks can happen. But people often use bots. They use like robots to do it so that humans aren't getting injured, generally speaking. So it's more for the symbolicness of it. So like when Welga is protecting a client and she tends to protect these very wealthy, like, you know, Silicon Valley types who are funding nanotechnology and, you know, there are all these pills that, like, make you stronger, faster, smarter or whatever. And they're the people who are coming up with these pills and the the science behind it. So they're extremely wealthy and they get protected because there are protesters uh, who don't appreciate the work that these people are doing. But what Welga is expecting is, to, like, you know, have to fend off some, like, robots and it's not a big deal. Instead, what actually happens is her client gets killed in front of her in a very violent attack that like is completely outside of her experience. And she is a veteran and has experienced war and real violence. So this is very difficult for her. She's also, because she uses these pills that like you just kind of have to to keep up with the pace of life, like you can't do your jobs in a lot of cases unless you are enhancing yourself with these nanotechnology pills. She's developing side effects that are very serious, but that she is kind of in denial about because if she stops taking the pills, she cannot do her job. Which then means she has no money. And that's never a good thing in any world that you live in. And the other main character is her sister-in-law, who is a, like, bio-researcher um, who's dealing with all kinds of really complicated issues like, you know, an unwanted pregnancy and complications of religion in the marriage and just, like, so many different issues uh, that Nithya is facing. And the way that these two POVs bounce off of each other, I think, is extremely well done. Uh, There's like international politics. Space is part of the whole deal. Religion is definitely part of it. Um, It's just and, and these questions of like, what is sentience? Who counts as a person? What does it mean to have automated workforces what it what does it mean to you know have automated so much of our lives and like what do we do when that automation is taken away from us and you know what are what are the right ways to live are always questions that are coming up in science fiction but divya is examining them in ways that i genuinely feel like i have not seen asked before which is you know a feat <laughs> given how much <laughs> sci-fi has been written and how much of it i've read so this is just so original 
the action is so good. The characters have so many layers and are so complex. Like I periodically wanted to like yell at one of them or shake them or cheer them <laughs> on or like be like, oh, what are you doing? You're doing this thing. You're driving me crazy. Like it's just I got very invested in these characters and their lives. And it's just extremely well done. There's great diversity uh, of, you know, race and like I said, religion, culture, uh, sexuality, identity on the page. It's just really, really good, y'all. Like, I'm really into this book. And I'm so glad to have read Divya, who has written other things that I have not read and now need to read. So, yeah, it's just I'm, I'm like super jazzed about this book and I hope more people will read it. It's, I feel like it kind of goes on the shelf between Kim Stanley Robinson and Malka Older is like mm. where I would position it in terms of comps. So if that gives you an idea. Again, that's Machinehood by S.B. Divya. I'm still over here trying to wrap my head around this surveillance thing being okay because it all never makes sense to me. It was so startling. And like they talk about like there's 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 this really smart thing that Divya has done where it's a commentary on the gig economy, but everybody has like a public tip jar and like people will be tuned into your feed to watch you like do whatever. And like maybe they'll tip you, including for like watching you and your partner have sex. So like you and your partner might like do some extras to try to get extra tips. And again, this is like totally normal and not weird. And like it's addressed in a way that the way Divya explains why the main characters don't think this is weird, you're like, oh, okay. Like, I guess that does make sense. But from where I'm sitting in my own, you know, life and situation, it's it it's like, it makes sense in the book. But as soon as I take myself out of the book context, I'm like, that's, that's bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yeah, that alone makes me want to read the book and actually my sci-fi pick is kind of similar in some of the themes and questions that came up in yours that was a happy accident Uh, but this is clara and the sun and this is the new book by katsuo ishiguro and i will say that right off the bat if you really love never let me go and want more of the same, you should definitely check out this book. But if you're looking for something completely different, um, I don't know, check it out anyway and figure out if you want to read this book. <laughs> but to me, I was like, oh, this like feels so much like Never Let Me Go. And I was very happy about it. They are two very different stories. But I think once once you read it, if you've read Never Let Me Go, Um, you'll recognize what I mean by that. Uh, In terms of like the voice of the narrator as well, it felt very familiar. And I really loved this book. Um, So in the book, in the story, Clara is an AI who is recalling her journey from the storefront where she's basically waiting around to be chosen by a kid uh, to be integrated into the world outside of the shop. And Clara isn't just an AI, she is an AF, which is an artificial friend. And AFs are meant to be companions. It's it's basically just what it sounds like. They're meant to be companions to the kids that uh, purchase them from these shops. And then what, what ends up following is this story of Clara living as an AF to a young girl. And 
the world she and her companions live in is all this is also a near future story. So most of the elements of the world are familiar, except for the presence of the AFs and this status that is placed on certain kids. And the status is called being lifted. And being a lifted kid means opportunity, basically. It means access to higher education and also like the promise of a good career and the things that come with a higher class life. It's privilege. And then there are also class distinctions that are made among the adults. So Clara will often identify the people she sees as wearing high-ranking coats and the like. So there's this sort of immediate awareness of a strata that reveals where everyone stands. And as you can imagine, there are issues that come with being lifted or being not lifted. Um, There are divides between the high-ranking and the not high-ranking. And then there are also other less familiar aspects of this world. And that is the world as described by Clara. So we see everything and experience everything through her eyes. And Clara is a particularly observant AF. She's she's observant and she thinks critically um, in ways that it seems like are unexpected from an AF, especially she's not like one of the newer model AF. So there's all talk about that. But it's the way she thinks and the way she perceives that's different. And it's interesting because it comes from a place of being less exposed to day-to-day life, like the day-to-day life of a human being, and also like not having any exposure to the broader world outside. So sometimes like the results of her analyses are more abstract or out there, but they're not like outright incorrect. And she has moments where she sees and understands a lot more than other people who should technically be more in the know. And then there's also this thing about Clara and the sun. And it's a thing that goes beyond the fact or is maybe inspired by the fact that she runs on solar. All of the AFs Mm. run on solar. And if there is anything she appreciates and reveres and observes, it's the sun. And it's it's kind of strange because this feels like a domestic story in that so much of it revolves around the home and the sort of mundane relationships of the household and their circle. And Clara observes the, observes the family she lives with and processes their actions and emotions like she's trying to solve a puzzle. So she points out a lot of the layers of a single interaction or expression, and she almost seems to do this robotically in like a technical way, but she uses this information to do things like advocate for her companion and try to do what she thinks is right. And it's almost like taking something ephemeral like morals or the act of being shaped by an experience and then translating them into sort of technical terms. There's just a a lot going on in this book. It feels very placid on the surface, but there are so many layers and so many questions that come up uh, just by, by going through the experiences of being an AF and how people treat AFs and how Clara responds to the treatment she receives and 
there was a point where I was like, oh, it's kind of like Paolo Coelho, but make it AI or something. <laughs> Super philosophical in ways. And there's like a, a strong thread of, of talking about faith and, hmm. and Clara's relationship feels very much like a sort of faith-based relationship. It's really interesting. Um, and I really loved this book. I think Kasuo Ishiguro is really great at seeding this sort of quiet sense of dread in stories where mm. nothing truly violent or terrible happens. There are just these little small moments that kind of, again, unnerve you. It's, it's that same feeling and also that inspire really powerful emotions and you know, I felt sad at the end of this story, but not in a teary way, just in a bittersweet way, the same way I did with Never Let Me Go. Um, and I think this book is probably going to stay with me for a long time. So again, that was Clara and the Sun by Katsuo Ishiguro. Ishiguro is such an interesting writer. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like, where yeah, does he come there from? was <laughs> like, I know. Mind. <laughs> One of his... One of his most recent books, The Buried Giant. Did you read that one? I started it and then was overwhelmed quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's well, exactly. It's such like a gauzy, odd sort of Arthurian book. It's yeah. really different. And and I think that's one of the things that I find most interesting about Ishiguro is that I feel like you can tell when you're reading an Ishiguro, even though they're all so different in terms of plot from each other. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, I agree. It's a really good book. <sighs> well, I'm definitely going to have to bump that up on my reading list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, those have been our favorites of spring 2021. If you have favorites from the last few months that you want to tell us about, we would love to hear about them. Uh, you can send those to us at sffia at bookriot.com. And uh, yeah, that's our show. Uh, thank you so much to our editor, Dr. Baker, our sound editor for making us sound great and fixing our flubs each and every episode. <laughs> if you want more recommendations for side sci-fi or fantasy or anything, you can check those out at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts. We have a whole bunch at bookriot.com slash listen. And speaking of listening, thank you for doing that. We super appreciate that we're still here after 102 episodes. It's very <laughs> delightful for us, and we're glad you enjoy it. If you want to email us your spring favorites, theme ideas, feedback, whatever, uh, you can do that at sffyeah at bookriot.com. You can also review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate that. It helps other folks to find the show. And then in between shows, you can find us on social media, Sharifa, where are you? You can find me on Instagram sometimes at S Zina Williams. <laughs> That's S Z A I N A B Williams. Yeah, our, I think our for all of us, our social media use is very sporadic. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> These but you, yeah, exactly. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's J E N N I R L. And you can find me on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. 